0: Welcome to this week's message from Pastor Jeff Spoony Barker of Story Point Church, located in the heart of Breeze, Florida. And now here's Pastor Jeff Spoony Barker your Bibles to the Old Testament to 1 Kings, 1 Kings, that's right before 2 Kings, so 1 Kings, Old Testament, we're going to start chapter 20, verse 42, and then we're going to go into the next two chapters, so we got a lot to cover today, a little bit of time, but before we get into the text, let me ask you a question, what do you think, if you had to boil down the problem of America or the problem of the church in America today, what, what would your what would your boiled down one sentence answer be? Jesus isn't first. Jesus isn't first. Passivity. Passivity. Sin. Sin. What else? The flesh. the flesh. Okay. Would you entertain the idea that the problem in America, the problem in the church? See, I'm more concerned about the problem in the church than the problem in America. Would you entertain the idea that the problem, the root problem, is weak men? Would you consider that? That if you, if you fixed weak men, you wouldn't have a weak church. If you fixed weak men, you wouldn't have a weak country. In fact, what if men were the solution Strong, and by strong, I don't mean domineering, I don't mean overpowering, I don't mean condescending, I don't mean manipulative. By strong, I mean godly, holy, wise, humble, biblical men who follow Jesus. What if that, would you entertain the idea that that would solve the majority of all the problems we face? In this text, I want to share with you what a weak man looks like. Now, you might be saying, well, great, I'm a woman. This doesn't have anything to do with me. No, it really does. Because because I want you to hear that weak men, there's a reason that they're weak. Part of that reason can be attributed to women. I'm not, I'm not assigning blame, I'm just saying none of us are outside of the scope of, of what we're dealing with. I also want you to hear today that by saying the opposite, we need strong men, that is not implying that women are weak, and it is certainly not implying that we want weak women and strong men. Nothing could be farther from the truth. I believe the Bible calls for strong men and strong women. Amen? It's not an either or. So, so take, that, uh, take that opposing idea out of your mind. We're not, we're not speaking against women today. We're speaking for men. Not at the expense of, but we're going to isolate this and we're going to look at the idea that what God wants is strong men. 1 Kings chapter 20, verse 42. We're going to pick up at the end of this story, and I'm going to fill in some backstory for you, and then we'll continue. The prophet said to him, verse 42 of chapter 20, 1 Kings, this is what the Lord says, because you released from your hand the man I had set apart for destruction, it will be your life in place of his life and your people in place of his people. The king of Israel left for home resentful and angry, and he entered Samaria. All right, so what's going on here before we get into chapter 21? So Ahab is the king of Israel. Now, the, 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 the God's people were divided into two kingdoms. He had the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. Ahab was the king of Israel. And as the king, he had all power and all authority. He had, he had everything he needed to lead well. He also had God who would advise, not advise him, but would direct him. So anything Ahab needed, he simply had to ask the Lord through a prophet, what does God say? And then all he had to do is do what God says and he would not only be victorious, but the whole nation would be blessed and protected by God. That was the deal that God had made with Israel. I say deal. That was the covenant that God had made. You'll be my people, I will be your God. You serve me, I will protect you, I will be your father, I'll do everything that you need. And so Ahab knew this, and yet Ahab was told by God to destroy Ben-Hadad. So again, if you go into the earlier parts of chapter 20, here's what was going on. Ben-Hadad wanted to uh, destroy Israel. And so he gathered 30 other kings together and said, let's go fight them. And in that process, Ahab went out to fight. And Ahab and his army, were, they were beating Ben-Hadad because God was directing the fight. And instead of Ahab killing Ben-Hadad, Ahab made a treaty with him. He did what was right in his own mind. He thought to himself, I'll just make a treaty and this treaty will be lasting and we can all live happily ever after. But here's the problem. God said, kill him. Ahab thought he had a better plan. And so when he made the treaty, it was a little time after that that a prophet of God disguised himself, put a bandage over his eyes, sat on the side of the road. And when Ahab was walking by, the prophet started conversing with the king. And in this conversation, the king, the prophet gave him kind of a riddle. And and the king answered the riddle. And it was that point where the prophet took a bandage off his eye. And he essentially said, you, king, have answered your own question. And this is where he says from God, this is what the Lord says. Because you released from your hand the man I had set apart for destruction. It will be your life in place of his life, your people in place of his people. And so remember last week, the first part of the message, the eternal decree of God. Listen, when God decrees something, you can mark it down in in ink, you can write it on stone, it is going to happen. But it often doesn't happen on our timetable. Sometimes God's decrees come about immediately and sometimes it's days and weeks and even years before God carries him to pass. But what God said was, your life, is going to be taken because you're disobedient to what God had said to do. And And this is the first key that you have a weak man. Verse 43, The king of Israel left for home resentful and angry, and he entered Samaria. He left for home resentful and angry because the prophet gave him bad news when it was really Ahab who was responsible. A weak man always blames somebody else for his own failures and faults. He doesn't own it. He doesn't take responsibility. It's always they didn't do this, they did that. If only this would have happened, if only that would have happened, if only I would have had of blah, 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 right? Weak men don't take responsibility for what they should and must own. You, If you go to a, 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 a like AA or some sort of an addiction recovery, what's the first rule? You got to own the problem. Nobody else can put you in recovery and expect that you're going to get well. You got to be there because you realize that you own it. It's your deal. And so... so Ahab wouldn't own it. In fact, he did the opposite. The messenger became the object of his anger. He was mad at the prophet because the prophet didn't tell him what he wanted to hear. I want you to remember this phrase, okay? If you have a pencil, maybe even underline it. He went home resentful and angry. He entered Samaria. Now go down to chapter 21, verse 1. Some time passed after these events. Now we don't know how long that was. Could have been a day, could have been... Five weeks, could have been five years. It was some time. What you need to get out of this is this. God made an eternal decree, and it was some time later that that decree came to pass or started to come to pass. So sometime later, Naboth, the Jezreelite, had a vineyard, and it was in Jezreel next to the palace of King Ahab of Samaria. So Ahab spoke to Naboth, saying... Give me your vineyard so I can have it for a vegetable garden, since it is right next to my palace. I will give you a better vineyard in its place, or if you prefer, I'll give you its value in silver. But Naboth said to Ahab, I will never give my father's inheritance to you. So Ahab went to his palace resentful and angry. See that? There it is again. He went to his palace resentful and angry because of what Naboth the Jezreelite had told him. And he, said, he had said, I'll not give you my father's inheritance. He lay down on his bed, turned his face away, and didn't eat any food. What do you have here? You have a big crybaby. You can tell mercy is not my gift in this moment. I have little tolerance for this, and here's why. He should have been a man, and he shouldn't have asked for the vineyard in the first place. Why? Because an inheritance is not only from your father, but it's from the Lord. You don't sell your inheritance. That was something that should have been in his family for generations to come. And and Naboth knew that and was honoring what he was supposed to do. Naboth was the strong man here. Because the king said, I want your vineyard and I'll pay you not only what it's worth, but I'll give you more than it's worth or I'll trade you even a better piece of property. Naboth stood his ground and said, no, this is my heritage. This is my inheritance. I am not going to shortchange my children for your pleasurable whim. Because remember, Ahab just looked out and goes, you know, that'd make a nice garden. He wasn't thinking long term. He wasn't thinking about Naboth. He was only thinking about himself. Listen, weak men don't think about other people. They think about themselves. What pleases me? What do I want? What's good for me? What makes me happy? What what is something that I can get? And, and And I say that saying that in all of us, we wrestle with that, but particularly When men pursue what they want alone, you can mark it down, there will be a trail of bodies in the wake for their life. Now let me just take you to some some real uh, human tragedy that comes from this. The problem in many homes is fatherlessness. Because a dad is either present and yet not present, or the dad is not present at all. And if you look at the rate or or the likelihood of a child becoming entangled in uh, an addiction, becoming entangled in broken relationships, becoming entangled in incarceration and all those other ills, the thing that draws most of those together is the fact that they were living in a fatherless household. That's just a fact. You can go and you can look at the numbers. There's all kinds of numbers to support that. And a fatherless household forces the mother to become the mother and the father. Can I just tell you something? Listen, mothers are mothers. They are not fathers. They're different roles. Now, I say that, want to be very careful. Sometimes circumstances demand that the mother have to play both roles. That's not fair and that's not ideal, but sometimes that's the way it is. But you still can't circumvent the fact that God's design for a family was to have a father and a mother together raising a child. And when you have a father and a mother raising a child the way God says to raise them, your, I say chances, but the, 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 the child that comes from that relationship is far more likely to be healthy and successful in all those other things But when you circumvent the way God says to do it, you put your family at a real disadvantage. Now listen, what may be worse than a a father that's absent is a father that's present and yet abdicates all fatherly duties to the mother to just let them do whatever they want to do, the kids. That's very dangerous because that says, I'm here, just don't really care that much. There's all kinds of things that a child has to deal with with that. Now, let me just step over here for just a minute. This message is not to condemn you because this is not this is not me talking about your life. This is me saying this is what's in God's word from this story. If it hits you, take it like a man and deal with it. If it doesn't hit you. Then pray for those that it does deal with, because here's the deal. I'm a man, so I'm looking in the mirror here, right? Amen? So this is us. This is not you. This is us. If we're men, this is what what we have to wrestle with. And I can also tell you this. I don't think there's hardly a woman in this place that wouldn't rather have strong men than weak men. Amen? Women, do you not want strong men? Yeah, why? Because strong men are not a threat to you. They're a help to you. Because they're different roles. And so, listen to his reaction to not getting what he wanted. He runs up to it. If you can picture this, he, he, he sulks through the palace entrance. His servants are like, oh, something's going on up in here. He just, he walks up the stairs. He goes to his royal bedroom. He flings open the doors. He plops himself down on the bed. And, ah, I'm not going to eat anything. I'm so upset. A little dramatic. Oh, stop. What am I doing? I said is to his teenage daughter. Te- you know what? That's exactly right. Because that was my next point. It's exactly like a 13-year-old daughter. I'm not condemning, I'm just saying when you're 13-year-old and a girl in today's culture, it's tough. So they get a pass. If you're a grown man, you do not get a pass. Thirteen-year-old girls, you are allowed to do that. If you are a man, you are not allowed to do that. You cannot soak on your bed. I'm sorry. Here's the problem, though. Remember I said that the culpability rests with all of us? Do you know that the average age of marriage for the groom now is 30? The average age for a bride today in 2023 is 28. You know what it was in 1950? About 20. So what happens to a guy between 20 and 30 in, in today's culture? And again, I don't mean to be offensive. I don't know how else to say it. We become Nintendo experts. We, we, we carry a part-time job because we we're not sure what our purpose in life is. We live at home and we let mommy do our, our laundry and cook our food. And we live this self-absorbed life. Listen, again, I'm not condemning. I'm just saying, look at our culture. That's what you have. You have a bunch of young men who are in the prime of life who should be killing it who are just kind of, yeah, I don't know what I'm going to do. I just haven't found my purpose. Listen, when you're 30, if you've done that for 10 years, you're going to have a problem. Because when you get married, it's not going to be like mommy lives there anymore. And moms, you got to cut them out. I know. No, I'm just, I'm not, I'm not again, I'm not pointing, I'm just saying... see, here's the thing. You don't abandon them, but you push them out and you say, listen, it's time for you to grow up. Because you've got to grow up eventually and if you don't grow up in this time, if you try to grow up when you're married to somebody, that's not going to work out well. Because she's going to wind up being your mother and your wife. And that never is a good thing. And so this... This young man, at 20, should start thinking, I need to start making away. I need to, I got all this time, I need to work my tail off. I need to start putting money in the bank. You want to know why men were men much sooner then than they are now? Because if you get married at 20, you realize you have two mouths to feed now. You have a mama and you have a baby. And it used to be that if daddy didn't go to work, mama and baby didn't get fed and they didn't get a house. And as a result, you said, I'll do whatever I've got to do, whether I like the job or not. My own happiness is not what is at stake here. The responsibility of a a wife and a child is what is at stake here. And it forced the guy to think outside of himself and to grow up and be a man. The fact that we're delaying this again—I'm not casting stones. I'm trying to just—I'm trying to paint as accurate a picture as I can. You be the judge of whether it's right or not, in terms of this is actually what's happening. But 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 just go look at some statistics. That that ten-year difference is huge, huge. He goes up and he soaks on his bed. He's pouting. His tears are wetting the bed, and so. His wife, verse 5, his wife Jezebel came to him and said to him, Now, you gotta understand the way this is written, it's not a gentle, oh, why is my my husband so upset? There is a very condescending tone in this. Why are you so upset that you refuse to eat, you big crybaby? I mean, it's it's this, it's this very very condescending tone. And then he replied, and you can almost hear the whining in this. You can almost hear the, Miss the, my family. I mean, just, just hear that in your head. I won't do that out loud. Because I spoke to Naboth the Jezreelite. I told him, Give me your vineyard for silver if you wish. I'll give you a vineyard. I offered him a fair price, I offered him a better piece of land, and he still wouldn't give it to me so upset. I just don't know what to do. I really wanted that. I mean, it's right there. I can look at my potatoes growing from my bedroom window. I mean, just this whiny, right? Listen to the way Jezebel responds. Then his wife, verse 7, his wife Jezebel said to him, now exercise your royal power over Israel. Get up eat some food, and be happy. Isn't that, you ever heard that? Don't answer. Jezebel basically says, suck it up, buttercup. That's where that came from. Stop your whining, get up, put on clothes, eat food, and be happy. And then she says, I'll take care of it. I'll make this whole thing go away. I'll fix the problem. Another sign of a weak man is when his wife calls all the shots. Listen, that doesn't play well in 2023, but God never intended for a husband and wife to have a relationship in which the wife directed everything. That is not God's plan. If you look in Scripture, you find that the husband is the head of the wife. That's what the Bible says. Not domineering, not manipulative. It actually puts more weight on him because Jesus' command to the husband is, Husbands, love your wife. How? As Christ loved the church. How did he love the church? He died for the church. How did he love the church? He was on his knees serving. He did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but instead he took on the very nature of a servant. So don't ever think that the husband in his rightful place, his head, is some super overarching power trip. That is not what God says. It is that you are the chief servant, chief protector, the one that God has placed the weight and responsibility upon. And I can show you how this plays out multiple times. In Genesis chapter 3, when Adam and Eve sinned, When God walks through the garden in the cool of the day, calling out the names, who did he call? Adam. Who sinned? Eve first, Adam second. Why did God call Adam and not Eve? Because God didn't give Eve the command. God gave Adam the command. He said, Adam, do not eat of that tree. All the other trees you can eat, but do not touch that tree. And you know what Adam did? He blamed his wife. He threw her on the bus. That woman you gave to me, go back and look at it. He he flat out threw her under the bus. That's not loving your wife the way Christ loved the church. That's blaming her for all the problems. Again, that's a weak man. If you continue through this passage, you're going to see this again, but let's continue for the sake of time. So here's what Jezebel did. She wrote letters, verse eight. She wrote letters in Ahab's name and sealed them with a seal. She sent the letters to the elders and nobles who lived with Naboth in his city. And in the letters she wrote, proclaim a fast and seat Naboth at the head of the table. Then seat two wicked people opposite him and have them testify against him saying, you've cursed God and the king. Then take him out and stone him to death. What a wicked woman. That's why when we say somebody is a Jezebel, that's what we mean. She was wicked. She told Ahab, you get up and go about your day. Go back to your game box. I'll handle this. So we go, okay, cool. He's in there, you know, playing. His, I'm not, if you play video games, I don't care. I'm just making fun of it. So, so I mean, really. I, I did, So, he, 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 he goes and goes about his business. He abdicates responsibility and authority to his wife. Listen, women have responsibility and authority, but there's some responsibility and authority that God gives to men, and when they abdicate it to women, it never works out well. Why? Because God gives responsibility to whom he wants to have responsibility. They're different responsibilities. And so he abdicated, he said, you know what, fine, go ahead, great, perfect. I I just let you handle it. And so Jezebel goes up into the office and she takes his royal seal. She writes a letter that says, Naboth needs to be invited to a party. And I want you to go to find two scoundrels, two wicked men. I want you to put one on his left and one on his right. And then halfway through the party, when the wine's really flowing good, I want you to have them both start to speak and say, Naboth cursed God and Naboth cursed the king. And that's an offense that's punishable by death. And so the people at the table will get up, take him out of of the city and stone him to death. Here's the problem. The nobles and the elders got this letter and they were weak men. They got this letter and no doubt they went back home and while they were having dinner with their family their children were there and their wife was there they're going man you're not going to believe what the king told me to do today I'm supposed to go get Naboth and we're supposed to have a party on Friday and I'm supposed to find two people to lie about him and then we're supposed to take him out and kill him man what about you know what it's not my it's not my responsibility I'm just going to do what the king says to do I didn't write the letter and if I don't do what the king says, he's gonna, he'll do that to me. So I'm just going to fall in line. I'm just going to do what I'm told. And we're just, I'll just wipe my hands off it. It'll be on them. Imagine if you were the son of one of these elders. Imagine if you were the son of one of these nobles. You're at the dinner table. You're hearing your father talk about this injustice that's going to take place on the weekends. What do you think about your father when you're listening to this? You're thinking to yourself... I do not want to be like this man. Let me ask you a question. And I've actually asked this question multiple times to different groups over the last couple of months. It's been been burning on my heart. Paul says to Timothy, follow me as I follow Christ. He says, "If if you'll pattern your life after my life, do everything I do, Pray how I pray, study the scripture how I study the scripture, treat people how I treat people. If if you'll just follow me, if you'll pattern your life, emulate my life, it will be as if you are following Jesus himself. That's what he said. How many men do you know can you say, I'll follow him, everything in his life, because he follows Christ? Don't answer out loud, but count. How, how many men in your life can you answer that question honestly about? Now, I'm hoping that, that, that you guys are like, yeah, man, I'm going to need more. I'm going to need to take my shoes off because I got more men. Than... But you know what? In every context that I've asked this question, there's been this gasp, this silent gasp, this, this obvious break in the crowd. Because for most guys, they can count every single person that they can count in that category on one hand. Again, I'm not accusing you, I'm not condemning you, I'm saying that we as men have got to rise up. We've got to step it up, we've got to stop making excuses. So the next day men of the city do exactly what Jezebel says. I have a feeling they might know it's from Jezebel. Maybe they don't, I don't know. But either way they do they take him out and they stone Naboth to death, an innocent man. He died for doing right. And then they send word to Jezebel. What you have asked, it has been done. Jezebel goes to the king. Stand up. Go take your vineyard. I told you I'd make it happen. He didn't complain. He didn't argue. He didn't hesitate. He goes to his vineyard and he's standing in it, looking around, going, Oh, my new vegetable garden. You think he didn't know what was going on? You think he was was ignorant to the fact that his wife signed his name to some documents to have an innocent man killed? No, he was perfectly okay letting her handle it because maybe he thought she did it, not me. Again, a weak man. Strong men never blame somebody else. They always own what's theirs to own. And I got to tell you, Normally, 20-year-olds have to live a few years to figure that out, but eventually they figure that out. Problem we're running into now, guys aren't figuring it out into their 40s and 50s and even 60s. They're not figuring out, i got to stop blaming everybody else. This is my fault. And so if you continue through the passage again, we're crushing up against the clock, so forgive me for jumping over some of the things. Then, verse 17, the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishabite. and says, get up and go meet King Ahab in Israel, who is in Samaria. He is in Naboth's vineyard, where he has gone to take possession of, him, of it. Tell him, this is what the Lord says, you have, or have you murdered and also taken possession? Then tell him, this is what the Lord says, in the place where the dogs licked up Naboth's blood, the dogs will also lick up your blood. So, once again, when God walked through the garden in Genesis, whose name did he call? Adam, Eve was responsible, but Adam was culpable because Adam was the one that God said. You go to this story. Who did the the murdering? All all Ahab did was hide his eyes and close his ears. But when God came to confront, who did he confront? God didn't confront Jezebel. He confronted Ahab. Listen, men, you and I will not escape God's discipline. Because we're not involved, or it's not our responsibility. The things that God places on your plate and my plate, He will hold you and me accountable for, not our wives, not our children, not somebody else. We will answer to God. But here's the alternative just do what God says. Because as Joshua said to the people of Israel, he said, I set before you this day curses and blessings. Choose you this day whom you will serve. You have a choice. Serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then go the other way. But choose this day whom you will serve. And then he stands up and says, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. In other words, I don't care what you do. I care, but it doesn't matter to me what you do. What matters is what I do, because I'm not going to answer for you. I'm going to answer for me. So for my family, I answer for me. Matter of fact, I answer for us. God holds me responsible what happens in my household. You say, well, you are. No, no, if you look at the Scripture and if you believe in what the Scripture says in the order of a household, that rests on me. I'm responsible. That scares me to death. Hope it scares you, and the fear though should motivate us to do right. Right, so Elijah confronts Ahab, and then he goes on and he says this. He says, "I will make your house" verse twenty two, "like the house of Jeroboam, son of Nebat and Ilokahashabashah." The Lord also speaks. Uh, to, to Jezebel the dogs will eat Jezebel in the plot of land at Jezreel and anyone who belongs to Ahab and dies in the city the dogs will eat and anyone who dies in the field the birds will eat so what God pronounced was judgment upon Ahab and on Jezebel and on his entire family listen fathers men your sin and my sin affects everybody in our life it just does When you and I disobey the Lord, our entire family suffers. And not just our immediate family, but generation upon generation, that carries down. But when we're obedient to the Lord, God's blessing carries from generation to generation. In fact, if you go back in Scripture, the curses last for this amount of time, the blessings for this amount of time. God honors faithfulness far greater than he honors uh, uh, unfaithfulness. I I, I look at some people and their, their lives are turning the tide of faithfulness in their family tree. So cool to watch. You got history of brokenness and then they say, you know what? Enough is enough. I'm not letting this continue. And their family is radically different. And some of y'all know some people that I'm talking about too. Verse 25, still there was no one like Ahab who devoted himself to do what was evil in the Lord's sight. Okay, I'm just going to say, guys, look, when, when, when the story's written about your life, is this the line that you want them to say? There is nobody like, put your name in there, who devoted himself to wickedness like this guy did. Or there's nobody like this guy, who was more, there was nobody more complacent about things in life than this guy. There was nobody more more uh, uh, wishy-washy. There was nobody more lukewarm. Or there was nobody more committed to the gospel of Jesus Christ than this guy right here. What do you want your story to read? And I got good news for you. You, in, in this moment, this single second of your life, everything in your life, you could have totally and radically screwed up. But if right here, right now, you say, I'm going to change the trajectory from here on forevermore. God, I need your grace because I don't even know how to do it. But from this point on, things change. God can do more in a day than you can do in a thousand years. He can restore all that the locusts have eaten. He can take ashes and make beauty out of them. He can take dry rivers and make them springs of living water. He can do it. But you've got to say, Lord, today, today I yield. And then tomorrow you've got to say, Lord, today I yield. And the next day, Lord, today I yield. It's you taking on the character and nature of God, which means you are like Jesus in every area of your life. And as God speaks, you simply listen. So let me, let me go to the really, really, that's chapter 21. All right, here's chapter 22, okay? Chapter 22 starts by saying this. There was a lull of three years. So the end of 21, there's this repentance of sorts, In Ahab And God says, okay, I'm not going to carry this out right now. I'm going to give you time. Three years later, Ahab decides he's going to go fight Ramoth-Gilead. So he grabs the other king, Jehoshaphat, and he says, hey, will you go fight with me against this king? And Jehoshaphat says, you know that I'm with you all the way, brothers in arms. My armies are your armies. My chariots are your chariots. My swords are your swords. We'll do this. But first... Let's consult the prophets or the prophet of the Lord. Let's consult the Lord about it. So Ahab thinks and goes, okay, that's no problem. So the Bible says that he gathered 400 prophets. Verse six, the king gathered the prophets, about 400 men, and asked them, should I go up against them for war or should I refrain? And they replied, march up and the Lord will hand it over to you, king. Here's the key. This confused me for a little while until I figured it out. They were prophets, but whose prophets were they? It doesn't say they were prophets of the Lord. It just says they were prophets. Listen, there are a lot of people who will tell you what you want to hear. And just because the majority tells you what you want to hear does not mean that that's the right thing. You should never follow the crowd. You should always follow the voice of God, and they are often not the same thing. So Jehoshaphat thankfully knew this, and Jehoshaphat said, Isn't there a prophet of the Lord here anymore? And here was Ahab's response Well, there's one guy, but every time I ask him something, he always gives me bad news. That's a weak man. It's a man not wanting to follow what's true. He wants to follow what feels good or what he himself wants to do. He doesn't want to know what's really going on in his marriage. He wants to just pretend things are what they are. He doesn't want to really know what's going on in his relationships. He just wants to pretend. (coughs) And finally, he was convinced, and Ahab goes and finds Micaiah. Micaiah is this unknown prophet. We don't know anything about him before. We don't know anything about him afterwards. But Micaiah comes in. And Ahab said, and by the way, the way that he says it, um, he says, uh, now the king of Israel, hang on a second. Okay, well, never mind. I'm going to skip that point. So he he calls, I know, sorry. He calls Micaiah. Micaiah comes in and says, yeah, sure, go out and fight him. You're going to be doing just fine. And then Ahab's like, I told you he wouldn't tell me the truth. He always lies to me. So Ahab knew he wasn't speaking the truth. Micaiah was just saying, yeah, whatever you hear, that's what you want to hear. And Micaiah, when he hears Ahab say, you didn't tell me the truth, Micaiah says, okay, now I'm going to really tell you the truth. Here's the truth. You're going to die in this this battle. You go out to fight. You're going to battle, and all of Israel is going to be scattered. That's the truth. That's what's going to happen. All these other prophets lied to you. This is one man saying what God said, and Ahab decided he would listen to the crowd as opposed to the prophet. But see, he thought he had figured it out. He said, you know what? Even though God's man said, I'm going to die, I'm going to outsmart God. So what I'm going to do, here's the plan. I'm going to actually trade uh, clothes. I'm going to trade uniforms with an ordinary soldier. And I'm going to ride in a in a chariot that's not the king's chariot. See, the way it's supposed to work is the kings would go out for war. They would wear their kingly clothes and they would be known as the king. And so the army would know who to follow and the other, other group would know who their king was. And actually, Ramoth Gilead's king said, look, don't go after anybody except Ahab. He's the only guy I want. So Jehoshaphat was dressed in his kingly clothes. There was another guy who was an imposter or a a double dressed as King Ahab and then Ahab was dressed as a regular, regular soldier in one of the chariots. The battle's raging. They go, there's King Ahab. So they go and they actually follow Jehoshaphat. When they capture him, Jehoshaphat's like, no, 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 it's not me, psych. I mean, he's like, no, I'm not really Ahab. So they turn and they start to leave. When they turn and they start to leave, one of the archers, one of the regular archers, one of the regular soldiers, maybe out of just just you know frustration, he just takes his bow and he just goes, just starts walking away. Now I want you to think about this: you have this giant battlefield, hundreds of acres, right? You have thousands of soldiers, you've got hundreds of chariots, you've got horses, you've got all these things. This one archer just takes his bow, just shoots it aimlessly into the air. That's the, way the Bible says it. Aimlessly shoots it into the air, starts walking away, and as Ahab, the king, is in the chariot, that arrow comes down and pierces the exact place where there's a weakness in his armor, and it pierces him towards death. What are the chances... That a guy like you, and a girl like me. <laughs> y'all remember that line? You remember that line? So you're saying there's a chance. <laughs> y'all are like, what the heck? Some of y'all get it, some of you don't. Here's the point. The chances are one in a million, which means it ain't gonna happen. But this is where we tie last weekend. The eternal decrees of God and the contingency of secondary causes. That soldier had no idea he was fulfilling the word of the Lord by aimlessly shooting his arrow into the air. The Bible says no one can outrun the long reaches of the arm of the Lord. You can't escape it. Because when God says it, it will come to pass. Here's what happened. He was bleeding. He commanded them to take him to a tree. They propped him up and he died. And the Bible later records that the chariot was taken down to be washed in in, in in the river, in the pool. And the dogs came and licked the blood out of the chariot just like God said years before it would happen. And if you follow the story later on, Jezebel died and was eaten by dogs. And if you follow the rest of the story, every single thing God said comes to pass. So here's my question. If you don't have a list of men that you will follow, if you're a man and you don't have a list of men that you would pattern your life after, you be that man for somebody else. You be that man for somebody else. Do whatever it takes to be that kind of a man. The women in your life will love you for it. They might, they might rebel against it, especially if they're not used to it. So women, let your men be the men that God called them to be. If, 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 if that's you, let your men be the men that God called them to be. For a lot of guys, they have abdicated so long that the women are going to be afraid to let them do what they need to do because it's like, well, just now? You're just now figuring this out? Listen, it's on all of us to do things the way God says to do it. Does that make sense? God is good, isn't He? Do it God's way. Things will work out well. You disobey the Lord, it's not a pretty picture. Let's pray. Father... I pray that, that somehow today, through all of these words, You would, would, would just bring it so succinctly into our hearts, what You're calling us to be, or who You're calling us to be, and how You're calling us to lead. Father, I pray that this day, You would help us to submit ourselves to You in every area. God, I pray that You would raise up men would be strong men, godly men, wise men, spiritual men, holy men, that lead well. Father, I pray that today, if there's anybody within the sound of my voice that's not yet surrendered to You as Lord and Savior, the Bible says they're lost, and so God, I pray that today they would be found by You. Pray that they would yield their lives to You, so they'd be saved. God, this is my prayer in Jesus' name.